Well, I want us to go back to the book of 1 Kings this morning. We were there last Sunday morning talking about Elijah at Kareth, that brook Kareth, which we found to be a dry river basin where the Lord watered him and fed him by the ravens throughout the days of the drought. And God put water in a dry river basin that only had water in it when it rained. And it didn't rain the whole time he was there, but God put water in it. And uh, that is a miracle of the Lord. And every day God fed him both morning and evening, every day by ravens. And uh, that was the Lord's doings as well. Anybody in here ever been fed a home-cooked meal by a raven? Raise your hand. I want to shake your hand and uh, share your experience. None of us have, and he got fed by ravens twice a day for a whole year while he was down by that brook, Kareth, and uh, drank water from the brook, and he knew it was the Lord. God separated him out. Kareth, as we mentioned last Sunday, is separation to God. This morning we want to talk about this experience of Elijah at Carmel which is in chapter 18 of the book of 1 Kings. And much of what we will discuss will talk about separation from the world. And uh, that is found at the Mount Carmel. And we want to show you the distinction between the, the Lord and the world and identify much of what takes place in this passage of Scripture is to identify who God is and who His people are. And that is the reason God has us to be separate from the world. It is so that it may be clearly identified who God is and who His people are. I'm thankful that I know who Jesus is, and I'm thankful to be one of His this morning. And I'm not ashamed to identify with the Lord's people. 1 Kings chapter 18, if you are able and willing, I would invite you to stand with us, and we'll reverence the reading of the Word of the Lord together. Follow along with us in your Bibles. We'll remain in this portion of Scripture for the entirety of the message. And I would encourage you to give me your undivided attention this morning. Don't let anything distract you from the Word of the Lord. We have a hundred miles to cover between now and quitting time. And so I will try to preach fast, but you have to commit to listen quickly or else you're going to miss a whole lot. It's like the other Sunday when we were preaching about that Mount of Sinai. I don't want to throw a mountain clean over the top of your head. So... Uh, pay real, we're preaching on Mount Carmel this morning. We don't want to throw this mountain clean over the top of anybody's head. We want you to learn something that will be a help to you from the Word of God. And uh, so please give us your undivided attention for just a little while. First Kings chapter number 18 and in verse number 30, the Word of the Lord says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar." Notice the, we'll come back to this, but notice that there is on last Sunday's message, there was a ditch or a chasm. There was a dry river bread, a bed, a brook, place called Kareth that means a cutting open or a slicing open, a division. This morning in the message, there is a trench that is dug. There is a slicing open. There is a division that is created. Last week's was to separate uh, Elijah unto God today is to separate uh, from the world. And so we see this ditch that is dug, this trench all the way around the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put in verse 33, and he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Do it, and he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran, ran, up, ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. That place of separation was filled with water. We'll come back to that. That's so important. The thing that separates the altar from the world must be filled with water. 
And it came to pass at the time of the offering from the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or in Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Identifying who God is, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. You can be seated. Thank you for standing with us while I read the Word of the Lord. Again and again, you will see this theme of identifying who God is and who His people are in this portion of Scripture. We began studying this prophet of God, Elijah, last week, and we talked about his experience at Kareth, how the drought came at his preaching, and God separated him out at Kareth. We saw the division, the provision, and the vision he experienced at Kareth. We learned how God will separate us from everything unto himself. The blessing of Kareth is the presence of God. Whereas nothing else was there, no other reason for Elijah to be there, no other uh, person there, no other religious institution there, no other mark of great distinction there, but God was there. And if you can be where God is, you're in the right place. The blessing of Kareth is the presence of God. Elijah experienced it, and God let him share it with a little widow and her little son with their little meal and their little oil. And they ate little cakes until the drought was done and their little blessings testified of the presence of a great big God. And that is how the Lord finished up last week in the uh, message in the in 1 Kings 17 in uh, that experience of Elijah at Kareth. Today things have changed a bit. God has brought Elijah out of isolation. He has brought Elijah out of hiding. Chapter 18 and verse number 1, he says to Elijah, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. He's to go show himself to Ahab. Obadiah is a servant of Ahab, the Bible tells us about in the ensuing verses, and he's the vessel through whom Elijah will show himself unto Ahab. Apparently, Obadiah was a servant of the king, but he feared God. Much like the midwives in our Sunday school lesson this morning. He's a servant of the king, but he fears God. And he had been feeding a hundred other prophets by God. And by fifties, he had been feeding those hundred other prophets by fifties in caves for fear of God. Elijah sought out Obadiah, the servant. And whenever he does, Obadiah recognizes him right off by the way Elijah's dressed. According to what we find in the Scripture's early part of, of Second Kings, Elijah wore some sort of coat of hair. I don't know what sort of hair that it was, but he wore a coat of hair. Maybe it's camel hair. I'm thinking it probably is because that's what John the Baptist wore, was that coat of camel hair. And Jesus said, if you will have it, this is none other than, none other than that of Elijah that was promised to come. So I'm thinking that if Elijah and John the Baptist are alike and Elijah wears a coat of hair, John the Baptist wears a coat of camel hair, that he's probably wearing a coat of camel hair. My daddy had a camel hair coat when I was a boy. I don't know if it's actually really made of camel hair. I seriously doubt that. But it is some sort of old uh, itchy-like material of some kind. And it is tan and it's supposed to be really neat and it's supposed to be really expensive and it's also supposed to be really hot. Which is why Brother Toby will never wear a camel hair coat. I get hot wearing summer suits in the wintertime. I do not want to wear a camel hair coat. 
If I live in Toronto or the North Pole, I'll get me a camel hair coat. But here Elijah is. He's living in a very hot climate. He's living in a desert and he's wearing a camel hair coat. I've just got to believe Brother Johnny's the only one around town that's got one on. I mean, whenever Obadiah sees him wearing that camel hair coat, he says, man, we've been looking for you everywhere. I would know you anywhere. I would recognize you anywhere. And don't you know, we've been looking for you all over the place. There is wanted posters in every post office around town in this whole country. They want you. The king wants your head on a platter. Everybody in this whole country is mad at you about the preaching you've been doing. And they all want to know about the weather, what you're going to do about it, and when you're going to fix it. All that folks can talk about, though, is the weather. Matter of fact, me and the king right now are out here in these woods and in these fields trying to round up all of his fast horses and to get them up so they don't all thirst to death, get them in one place and give them some water to drink. The old king Ahab didn't care if the people thirst to death, but he's going to take care of his livestock. You know, he's going to look after his animals. And Elijah says to Obadiah, I said, I know he's looking for me. Not only is he looking for me, I'm looking for him. And I want you to arrange a meeting between me and King Ahab. Obadiah said, man, I ain't doing that. I mean, I am not going to do that. Don't you know if I were to just call your name before the king, he's liable to kill me. And I know you, Elijah. You have a way of showing up and disappearing. You have a way of landing somewhere and then just vanishing off the scene. Why? I'll sure as a world, I'll tell the king you want to see him. You'll show up in that place and then you'll vanish out of his sight. And instead of killing you, he'll kill me. He'll cut my head off. I'm just not going to do it. And Obadiah made Elijah promise him that Elijah would not just vanish out of this thing. And he wouldn't leave Obadiah holding the bag. And made him commit that he would not let Obadiah get killed. And then he finally agreed to introduce him back again unto Ahab. And my friend here, Obadiah. Obadiah is. He's out rounding up these horses. That was King Ahab's hobby. Fast horses. And they were thirsting to death. But Obadiah agreed to arrange the summit. And so he goes and gets Ahab. Brings him in the field to where Elijah is. And the two of them meet. And when Ahab met with Elijah, they shared no pleasantries. There was not even the appearance of a friendly conference. Ahab got right in Elijah's face and called him a troublemaker. He said, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Hold Elijah, you're what's wrong with this country. You and people like you are what's wrong with this country. You are to blame for all of our troubles. Elijah, not to be outdone, reminded Ahab that he was a troublemaker. Amen. It's not me that troubles Israel, but it's you and not only you, it's your daddy and your brother and your and your uncles and your whole father's house. It's you and all of your people. Amen. It's you and all your people that's given us this trouble. I, some of y'all in the congregation know somebody that uses that phrase, you and all your people. He says it's you and all your people that has caused me so much trouble. And that's why it's become so hard. That's why this nation's in such a mess. You've forgotten God. Oh, listen to me, friend. I'll say again as I did last week. It is not the man of God that that name sin that is our problem in this land it is the men who sin and lead others down that same road that is the problem uh, my friend hey preachers are not our problem in America but like in Israel it is politicians and other prominent people who lead our societal order down a path of wickedness that are our problems oh my soul have mercy uh, my friend the answer uh, the problem rather is not in the church house. The problem is not in the people who really are seeking after God. The problem is in those who have forgotten God. Who have forsaken God. The nations that will be tossed off into hell are all those nations who have forgotten God, the Bible says. The problem with Israel was not spirit-filled preachers like Elijah. It was Satan-filled politicians like Ahab. And the crowd that followed him. And the crowd that approved of him. And the crowd that loved him. And I'm going to tell you, whenever the evil leadership gets in place, they are to blame for a nation's trouble. And also the people that follow them are to blame. And the people who approve of them. And the people...
people who enable them and the people who yield to them are to blame. But Elijah was not the trouble. Ahab was the trouble. But Elijah said, I came to bring a solution. Ahab wants to know what are you going to do about the weather? Calvin Coolidge said, everybody complains about the weather, but nobody ever does anything about it. He didn't know Elijah. Amen. Elijah didn't complain about it, but he did something about it. Amen. He came to bring a solution. And his solution was, before we can ever get an answer to the weather problem, before we can ever solve climate change, the first thing we're going to have to do is identify who God is. Have you noticed, by the way, let me run a tangent here for just a minute. That same crowd uh, that wants to bellyache about the weather. That same crowd that wants to blame uh, hurricanes on whether or not you've driven your automobile too many miles. uh, And whether or not, uh, my friend, you're eating too much meat. uh, As if that were any of their business. uh, Whether or not that you uh, maybe have left too thick of a carbon footprint. That same lunatic fringe uh, that worships the creation more than the creator. They are like Ahab. Ahab worshipped his animals more than he did people. He worshipped his herbs more than what he did God. He stole from people and had men killed that he might plant a garden of herbs. He's rounding up horses in this passage of scripture. And while his people thirst to death, he's going to water these horses. He values animals and plants more than he does people. Amen. We still have that crowd today. That same crowd thinks that you and I are responsible for the weather. That same crowd thinks that we're the reason why there's hurricanes to come. That same crowd cannot identify who God is. That same crowd has tried to remove God from everything and everywhere. And that same crowd, listen, you are not the problem and I'm not the problem, but that crowd and their house and their way is what's causing trouble in our nation. It's time we recognize again who God is. It's time we know again who the God of Israel is. Who the God of heaven is. Who the God of the weather is. Who the God of this earth is. If my friend, we listen. We won't solve climate problems, financial problems, crime problems, political problems, societal ills until we first understand who God is. And until we identify who His people are. Oh, how we need to open our eyes again and understand the Lord He is the God the Lord He is the God that's the solution that's the solution there will be many politicians stand on the stages and uh, they will debate over the next year and a half and they'll argue and fuss over who has the answer to this problem and that problem and none of them know anything Uh, it does not matter if they have D's or R's beside their name or I's or whatever else Uh, you could put the whole alphabet beside their name and they still would not know the solution to our problem the only people that know the answer are the people who know God Uh, the only people who have the answer are the people who know who God is. It's time we identify the Lord. Our grandparents grew up in a generation of people that did not know financial independence. They did not know what it was to be affluent. Many of them did not even know how to read and to write, but they knew who God was. And they knew security in our land and they knew a family unit and they knew what it was for moms and dads to stay together and to stay married and to raise children and to go to the house of God and to respect one another. They taught our children manners. They taught them to respect adults. They taught them to say yes sir and no sir, yes ma'am and no ma'am please and thank you. They taught them to sit still and quiet in church and keep their mouths shut and listen to the preaching and to respect God's word and God's man and God's house and to respect one another. They taught them not to steal and not to lie. They taught them to have patriotism. We've forgotten all of those things today. We are ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. We say anybody and anything can be God. We're living in a day where every religion is just as good as another religion. But I'm telling you, our problem is in this day not that we don't have enough money. Our problem is not that the debt's too high or the temperature is rising. Our problem is not, my friend, all of the things that we think is wrong. The internal combustion engine's not going to get us. Sin is going to get 
us. Have in our tendency to eat meat or not eat meat. Hire these things that people want to fuss about. Go ahead, go on your keto, vegan, Palm Beach, South Beach diet or whatever else it is you're going on. Skip all the coconut oil, peanut oil. I mean, go gluten-free, stand on your ear. That will not fix our problems in this land. Our problem is a sin problem. And we have a sin problem because we don't know who God is anymore. And we need to identify who God is. Amen. It's time for a fire test. It's time for my friend to be tried by fire. It's time that power would identify who God is. We'll not identify God is with pointy-headed intellectual debates. We'll not identify who God is with politicians arguing about things that they know nothing about. We'll not identify who God is by religious people and their learned theological arguments. We'll learn who God is when we see the fire fall. When we see the fire fall. When we see God's power manifesting. That's when we'll know who God is. When we climb the mountain, when we get on our knees, when we pray until God sends power and fire from heaven, that's when we'll know who God is. The solution is not to argue about Elijah or Ahab. It is not politicians or preachers. It's not one man or the other. The solution for this nation is identifying who God is and then following after Him. Men do not have the answer for social ills, climate changes, or financial challenges. But the answer is God that answers by fire. That is the answer. We must identify who God is. And so this is the solution that Abraham, that Elijah presents unto Ahab. Let's meet on the mountain of Carmel. That's where you're comfortable. That is the home of the Baal God. That is where he calls home. That's where he supposedly resides. I will play an away game. You can have a home field advantage. I'll come to where your prophets are. They won't even have to make a long trip. There's 850 of them, 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of the that of Ashtaroth with his the female goddess that is similar to Baal. 850 altogether. There's 850 of you, one of me. We'll play on your home field, not on my home field. I will let the crowd gather around and the spectators will judge. I will give you every advantage in the world and I will defeat you on your own turf. Not because I am anybody. I've spent the last year hiding out had a cave in two more years. He not an empty bill barrels. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. But I'm telling you, the Lord, He is the God. And let this people understand that the Lord, He is the God. And we'll solve the drought. We'll solve the drought and the famine. We'll solve the hunger problem. We'll solve the morality problem. We'll solve the Israelite problem. We'll solve man's problem when we identify who God Oh, they have said, ain't no problem for me. I got preachers. That's their job to handle that. And so they did. Met him on the mountaintop. Mount of Carmel. 850 prophets all together of false prophets. One prophet of God. What odds? The people that were there that day, spectators come to see. I don't know how many people there was there that day, but I know there was enough of them that after they got done seeing the firefall, they killed 850 prophets of Baal and threw them in the river. Amen. And by the way, at the river they threw them in. I might not get back to that. It ain't been raining in three and a half years. I don't believe there's any water in the river. I think they killed them and tossed them off in a ditch. Amen. A ditch brought life to Elijah. A dry riverbed brought life to Elijah when God was in it and it brought death to the false prophet when God was not there. Amen. Oh my friend, the answer's not in the riverbed. The answer's not on this planet earth. The answer's not in the world under the sun. Our trust must be in the Lord. In God we trust. It's the Lord that is our hope and our help. People gathered there that day and they're supposed to be a covenant people. But they had forgotten who God is. They connected with false gods and had 
embraced the ways of the world. Their leaders, my friend, had uh, had taken them in the worship of Baal. And those, uh, those people of Baal, those prophets of Baal, put on a performance that day, a display, a show. And they cut themselves. They leaped upon the altar. They screamed. They wept. They wailed all morning long. But no fire fell. There was performance. There was sound. There were noise. My friend, there was something, a spectacle to see. But there was no fire. God is not in the spectacle of men. You can have smoke bombs. You can have, my friend, everything that this whole world does to put on a show. P.T. Barnum can crack his whip. And the ringmaster can stand with a mic in his hand. But I'm telling you, if you don't have God in the middle of it, it's more of a circus than what it is church. Amen. I'm telling you, we're living in a day where they'll come riding down the aisle have the church on a motorcycle or a horse and do all sorts of stunts and spectacles. But God is not in a stunt. God is not in a spectacle. The prophets of Baal jumped up on the altar and they cut themselves a stone and they screamed and they wailed and they didn't more expect Baal to send fire my friend than they expected monkeys to fly. You know how I know that? If they thought that Baal was going to send fire on the altar, they wouldn't have been standing on top of it. Jump up on top of it and say, all right, here I am, burn me up. If they had expected Baal to send fire, they would not have been standing on the altar. They knew what they were doing was a show. They knew that they were fakers. They knew they were phonies. They were just putting on a display for the king to see, for the people to see, for the prophet to see. They didn't think Elijah would pray fire down from heaven either. So if we can outperform him, then folks will follow us. I've got news for you. The world does not have to outperform us. My friend, they've got to compete with God. And if God before us, then who can be against us? Amen. And so these prophets of Baal did not do any good. And Elijah had fun with it. He set up under a shade tree while they were all morning long, even into the middle of the day, hottest part of the day. They're sweating like pigs, jumping up and down, cutting themselves with stones, weeping and wailing. My granddaddy said, one of them reached out there, stuck two fingers up in there and hollered, peace, brother. <laughs> I don't know what all that they did do, but they behaved crazy that day. And Elijah just laughed at them. Maybe your God's hard of hearing. Call out a little louder. Maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe that's why he hadn't shown up. Maybe he went to sleep. Maybe he's at rest. When it says he's at rest, there is some reason to believe that maybe that means he's gone to the restroom. He has uh, left out of this place. He has gone. Uh, he has resorted to the restroom for a little while. Uh, Elijah's just making fun of him for what he's doing. That uh, maybe your God's down there at the outhouse. Uh, maybe you ought to call down to outhouse and see if you can get him. Uh, maybe does somebody have a cell phone? Uh, maybe we can call the bell on the cell phone. I mean, Elijah's making fun of these men for the stupidity, the foolishness of what they were doing. And finally, they quit their sham. They quit their show. They gave up and they sat down and said, apparently, our God is not going to answer by fire. But old Elijah, having spent three and a half years in solitude with God, knowing who God is and what God does, was not even worried about this thing at all. He finished picking up out from under his fingernails with his pocket knife and I don't know if that's the way it worked or not but I got a feeling that's how it worked and my friend took and wiped that knife off chopped his whittling put it in his pocket and said alright I need somebody to help me build a fire let's start here I've got 12 barrels of water that I'm going to need here's 4 go get me 4 barrels full of water and while you fellas are doing that I'm going to go to work what in the world do you need water for y'all will see in just a little bit and just get the water for me and they get water and he starts preparing for a fire he took his job there very seriously and my friend his role on the mountain that day was not to show them how great Elijah was it was not to compete with the prophets of Baal it was to show them how great God was who God really is 
And now let's start in the preaching time. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Verse number 30 of our text. And Elijah said unto all the people come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. It was broken to the ground. To the foundation. But old Elijah did not build a new altar from scratch. That's what the prophets of Baal had done. In verse 26. They cried aloud. Oh, verse number 26. The Bible said they leaped upon the altar. In the verse. They leaped upon the altar which was made. They made an altar from scratch, but not Elijah. He went back to the foundation that had long been laid and started from there. He built again on the firm foundation. He called upon the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Israel. He did not look for some new way or new pasture, but rather he went back to the tried and proven things of God. He knew who God is. Amen. Oh, listen, this morning Satan does not a man does not mind men attending church but he wants to keep them away from the foundation of the altar he wants to keep them away from the power he wants to keep them away from the anointing he loves social church satan loves new age church satan loves false churches satan loves the dead church but he's scared to death of the fire of god he's scared to death of the anointing at the altar he's afraid of the foundation foundation of the Lord and the foundation of God standeth sure and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Satan is afraid of that. When you're living separated, sanctified, spirit filled and when you are saturated with the scriptures of God as Satan despises that and fears that and Elijah said if we're ever going to get right with God and know who God is we cannot start from scratch. God is already here before before we got here. We've just got to remove the clutter out of the way. Get back to the foundation and build on that foundation that's already laid. For no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. God help us to get back to the foundation and realize the Lord, He is the God. Amen. Amen. Something new is not what we need. Something old and forgotten is what we need. Amen. Getting back to this foundation, building their own, shows us an agreement with the government of God. Elijah in verse number 31 took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. Twelve stones is one for every tribe of Israel. Twelve is God's number of governmental perfection. But Israel was not in agreement with God's government. The nation at the time of Elijah was divided into two nations. And where Elijah was was in the northern kingdom that had left the kingdom of God. That had left the city of Jerusalem. That had left the ways of God. That had left the kingdom of David that the Lord had ordained. That had left the temple of the holy God of heaven that had left the word of the Lord. This nation was divided and the people among whom Elijah stood were rebellious people who had left God's covenant of protection in his plan. Israel was divided but unity was God's will. And my friend if we're going to recognize who God is we need to get back in agreement with God and pray his will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. we got to pray and seek after the will of God. Seek after the will of God. I want to say something this morning that I've said here before, but some of you might not have written it down and told somebody what a heretic I was for saying this before, so I'll say it again this morning. If you don't understand it, you may misinterpret it, so stick with me. God's will is not always done in this world. Now let that just rest on you just a second. It is not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is for everybody to be saved. Is everybody going to be saved? No. God's will is not always done in this world. You think all the, all the war and the crime... The inequities of our world. You think people mistreating others. A violence man against man. You think that's God's will? Of course not. 
God's will is not always done in this world. In fact, God's will probably is done fewer times than what it is not done. It's probably less than the majority of the time that the will of God is done. We are to pray for God's will to be done on earth even as it is in heaven, but God's will is not done on earth the same way as it is in heaven. In heaven, everything that happens there is in the absolute perfect will of God. Nothing happens in heaven out of the will of God. But on earth, this is a world of rebellion. This is a world of sin. This is a world that is out of the will of God. You realize everybody would be living for Jesus if this world was a, if God's will was always done in this world. You'd stop all the things you do that's wrong if everybody my friend, if every time God's will was always done in this world, God's will is not always done. God's plan is always done. You can resist God's will, but you cannot stop God's plan. There are some things He's put on the schedule. There are some things He has written on the calendar. And those things He has planned are going to happen whether you ever accept God's will or not. God's plan will be implemented if everybody resists His will. Oh, my friend, He has a governmental order. And when we get in agreement with God's will, we get in agreement with God's plan. My friend, hey, we'll get in agreement with how He has set up the governmental order for our lives. That is, the Lord is the foundation and we are built up on Him in Christ. Oh, praise God. God's a plan. God's will, rather, was 12 stones, not 850 prophets. 12 tribes, not King Ahab and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. Oh, and Elijah builds this altar on the foundation with those 12 stones. And he reminds them that the power of the altar. It's not held up by us. It's not held by preachers or kings. But it is held by the rock. How, what are you saying? Jesus probably said it best in Matthew 16 and 18. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I tell you, friend, I tell you the word of God in this task is to take sides with God if necessary against the whole world. It won't be long to God bring out his plan and he will give victory to his church he'll bring us out of the isolation of Kareth to an open victory in a place like Carmel he will set afire the things of this old world the earth and all the elements thereof will burn with fire but praise God his people will be delivered like Elijah who we'll see soon will be carried off into the heavens hallelujah he will restore order to the kingdoms of this world he will honor his people he will destroy false religion and he will send the latter rain. I'm saying victory is coming. It is not only God's will, it's his plan. Victory is coming. Take sides and identify who God is while you still got a chance to get on board the winning side. Victory is coming. It's God's plan. Israel would not accept the 12 stones which were God's will, but they couldn't stop the fire which was God's plan. Hallelujah. If you're wise, you'll get in while God's working. When he built these 12 stones, he accepted the odds. In repairing the altar, he accepted the odds. One prophet of God, 850 fakers. We are not the majority this morning, but we are the victors. At the altar of God, one anointed man of God has more power than 850 prophets who walk in disobedience. Most will follow the world. Don't follow them this morning. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Secondly, he dug a trench around it. The last ditch in the life of Elijah was Cherith or Kareth, that dry river basin, a place of separation, a division. Kareth is separation to God. And this trench at Carmel is separation from the world. This trench was all the way around the altar. It surrounded the whole thing. Why do you build a trench around an altar? There's two reasons I'm going to give you this morning. I've got to move on. I could park here and just preach for the next hour. But there's two reasons why he builds a trench all the way around the altar. First of all, is to separate that altar from idols. I mean, the, this mountain of Carmel is where the false gods are. There's 850 fake preachers that are there. 
They have just got done having a an idolatrous worship service, an idolatrous ceremony where they tried to offer a sacrifice under their false god. And they couldn't generate any fire. And Elijah said, man, I can't have God in the middle of all of this. I know God is not going to all honor a place where idols are worshipped. How we must separate out from the world if the fire is going to fall. No fire will fall where Baal is honored. We can't have fire and foolishness. False prophets get no fire. How the trench separated them from the altar. We can't have fire and have the world. Not now, not then, not ever. Oh, friend, you can choose the cold, fireless religion of society. Or you can choose the power of God. But they are separate things. It's time to identify who God really is. And for the separated believer, everything that turns the world on turns us off. Everything they like, we don't like. Everything they love, we don't love. Everything that makes them glad makes us sad or mad. Everything that gets them going makes us want to quit. And then for us, everything that makes us happy makes them confused. Everything that keeps us going causes them to scratch their heads. They don't understand us and we don't understand them. We are separate from them. We are a holy nation, a peculiar people. My friend, we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's time to identify who God is. My friend, they tell me, the old song said they tell me I ought to be looking for a better place to live. But I just can't seem to get excited about this world and what it can give. I couldn't care less if you could buy it all with a solitary dime. For what good would a world do me with leaving on my mind? Hallelujah. 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 I separate from this whole world. You cannot have Baal and God. If God be God, let Him be God. You crowd of people standing here on Carmel that day. How long halts you between two opinions? If God be God, then let Him be God. If Baal be God, then let Him be God. The God that answers with fire, He's the God. And the people stood that day in a place of decision. And so are you today. You can't have the world and the Lord. You can't run with Him and walk with Him. You must choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yes, sir. Church where we are in is in love with the devil yes. and in love with sin. Yes. And most people have embraced every wicked thing yes. in society. Yes. And we cannot have fire like that. Yes. And we wonder why we don't have power like we used to have. Yes. It's because we are not separated like we used to be yes. separated. Yes. And people have fallen in love with the devil and all of his delicacies and dainties. Yes. And the fire will never fall yes. while we're living like that. Yes. The average preacher wouldn't preach against a, a python if it's wrapped around his neck smothering out his last breath of life. Amen. How we are so wrapped up in this world in love with ghosts and in love with Egypt, in love with sin, in love with wickedness. We're more concerned about all the things of society than what we are the things of the Scriptures. And it's time somebody dug a trench again. It's time somebody built an altar again. It's time somebody prayed to fire fell again. And Elijah was not the most popular preacher in town. Matter of fact, he's the only preacher preaching like he's preaching on that mountain that day. But he was still right. And he was still right with God. And he was the only one that knew where the fire was. Those other boys knew how to make noise, but they didn't know how to build a fire. Are you listening to me this morning? We cannot have all of Baal has to offer and have fire. It just won't happen. Amen. And I feel a mean streak crawling up my leg and I'm trying to fight it down this morning. But I'm going to tell you, if I had a church where I was attending where the preacher never preached against anything, I'd run so fast. They'd have to hire, they'd have to hire a fast car to catch me. I mean, I'd flat foot out run the train from Bremen to Tallapoosa. If I had a church where I was going where the preacher never preached against anything, where all he ever did was tell us what good little boys and girls we were, where he never called out sin, where he never called out the devil, where he never named 
shame, disobedience, and ungodliness. We ain't ever preached against rebellion. If every once in a while my preacher didn't take loose and preach on the liquor crowd, I wouldn't go to church there. If every now and again he didn't sit out and preach against the lottery, amen, and the idea of bringing in these casinos in the state of Georgia, if he didn't preach against a tattoo parlor, amen, if he didn't preach against running about five, six naked, I wouldn't go to church down there anymore. I mean, I want a man of God that knows how to dig a trench, that knows how to build an altar, that knows how to pray fire down from heaven. And then, friend, if I'm standing on the sidelines and I see where the fire is, that's where I want to be and I will declare the Lord, He is the God. Amen. And all of that kind of preaching is about as popular as a porcupine in a balloon factory. And it was when Elijah was here. And it still is, but it's still right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I got about 10,000 other things I'd like to say about that. But I'm going to move on here. God have mercy to give us some people again that will separate from idols. My friend, this trench was not only to separate them from idols, but it also was to shelter the unbeliever from judgment. That's what we miss a lot of times. We think all oh, the trenches are there to keep us from having fun. The trenches are there to keep us from having a good time. All oh, the preacher preaches against all that stuff because he don't want us to enjoy anything. It's there to keep you from judgment. The fire was about to fall. Elijah dug this trench to contain the fire. Listen to me, they've been three and a half years without rain. Fire plus drought equals disaster. Had he not built a trench around this altar as a fire break, it would have devoured all of them. They would have died. Their families would have died. Their homes would have been destroyed. Everything would have been gone. Oh, listen, the trench kept fire out of town. God doesn't sent fire in this dispensation to kill but he has sent it to convince and John 3 and 17 God said and Jesus said God sent not his son of the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved but there is a fan in his hand and the day will come when he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire if there's not a trench in your life you're in trouble the fire at the altar today is contained but the fire that is coming on that day will run rampant and if you don't know who God is you will not survive when it's on fire he dug a trench repaired the altar and I got to run or I won't never get to point five, six, eight, ten, twelve, and 72 of this message he ordered the wood he ordered the wood verse number 33 and he put the wood in order by the way God does things in order I got time to preach on that part of it, but he put it in order. He put the wood in order. This wood represents unto us the cross. Can I tell you, without that, nothing happens. Without the cross, it's all in vain. Without the cross, ain't no, nobody having any fire. No power will be seen. Nobody will know who God is without the cross. Romans 5 and 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's what Jesus did at the cross that makes a difference. 1 Corinthians 1 and 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, that the cross of Christ should be made of none effect for the preaching of the cross. Yes, to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The water is not baptism. The fire is not personality. And God is not an influence or intellect. The fire, the power of God comes by way of the cross. It is the cross that we identify. It is by the cross that we identify who the true and living God is. I was introduced to God by the preaching of the cross. All the prophets of Baal, their performance and personality would not bring fire. The king and his power couldn't do it. But Christ, the true God, has revealed to us in the message of the cross. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Hallelujah. They ordered the wood. Then the next point, he placed the sacrifice. 
Verse 33, he put the wood in order and he cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. Laid him on the wood. Oh, cutting the bullock and laying it on the wood. This is Christ. Without him being laid down. Without him laying down his life for us. All the rest is in vain. I'm telling you, Baal has a substitute altar. He has stones and wood. But their sacrifice is not acceptable to God. The reason why the fire didn't fall on Baal sacrifice is because God was not pleased with their sacrifice. But when God was pleased with the sacrifice, He received the sacrifice by fire as He did all, to all times in the tabernacle and again in the temple. And on this day, God received the fire of the altar by ascending fire down, receiving that offering. And He will not receive just anything. But He is pleased with Jesus. He'll not receive your water baptism, your good works. He'll not receive your wealth. He'll not receive your wisdom. He'll not receive your record. He'll not receive your argument. But He will receive the blood of His own Son. That's Jesus that's acceptable to the Father. He placed the sacrifice. Point number 79. He poured out the water. He poured out the water. Water is a precious commodity at any time. If it hasn't rained in three and a half years, it's real precious. We went about three and a half or four weeks without rain after one of the wettest years of our lives. And by the time three or three and a half weeks of 100 degree temperatures went by, I was telling Sonia, if something don't give, we're going to have to sell these, these calves because they're going to run out of something to eat. That was three and a half weeks. They've been three and a half years. No dew nor rain. Three and a half years. You think you've seen dry? You ain't never seen dry. And Elijah says, I want you to get me 12 barrels of water. 12 barrels of water might have been worth more than 12 barrels of oil. 12 barrels of water in this kind of drought? Where are you going to get them? And if you got them, the last thing you'd do is pour them out. But Elijah had some water and he poured it out. Running water, by the way, when he pours it out and that water runs. The Bible said it ran all the way around it. Water ran, Bible verse 35, and the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. Running water in the Bible is the Holy Ghost. You remember what Jesus said? Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This speak he concerning the Holy Spirit which they would receive. Running water is the Holy Ghost. Elijah said we can't have fire if we don't have the Holy Ghost. And then still water, a sitting water or steel water is the word of God. After the Holy Ghost was poured out, the trench was filled up, they had steel pools of water and there's the word of God. By the way, that's the way the word of God has always come. Holy men of old moved a rope as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, the breath of God gave a way to the word of God and the word of God filled up a trench of separation. When the Spirit of God moves in your life, and helps you to receive the word of God. It will separate you from the world. And what separates you will ultimately be the word of God. It'll not be because the preacher said this and the deacon said that. And your mama told you this and peer pressure said that. But it'll be the Bible said this and the Bible said that. And the Holy Ghost deals with my heart and makes me believe the Bible. And I want to do what the Bible says. Therefore I can be like they are because I want to be like He is. Amen. He poured out the water and it pooled up. The trench was full of it. Full of it, full of it. Oh, how we need to be filled with it this evening or this afternoon. We don't have truth and spirit in our church. If we don't have truth and spirit in our church, it's little more than an empty ditch. The water like the word was precious. First Samuel 3 and 1 and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. For there was no open vision. Amos 8 11 said there'd come a time when there'd be a famine not of food nor of water. But of hearing the word of God. At my friend there was no water for that crowd. But God had water. He bottled up a three and a half year supply. He had water kept under control. He had water to put out the fire. 
He had water to control the fire. The Word of God, His promises of redemption, forgiveness, and salvation is what keeps the judgment fire from burning us up. The reason why the only fire I'll ever feel is burning in my heart is because the promise of God's Word has kept me safe from judgment fire. The number of barrels tells me something. Twelve of them according to verse 12. Or according to verse number 33. Twelve barrels. Oh my friend. Hey. For the first time. For the second time. For the third time. Up to a barrel for every tribe. That is a word for all of them. These ten tribes thought they had left Jerusalem. Had no inheritance in David. Had no place with God. But God had a barrel of water for each of them in the drought. My friend God gave them all a barrel. There's a word for you and for me. Give me about three minutes and I'll finish this word. The repeated dosage tells us something. They went and got four barrels of water. I believe they got, I believe they got enough barrels in the, in the land, of, uh, land of Israel. They just ain't got water. They could have went and got 12 barrels all at one time, but they went and got four the first time and did it three times. Why? The repeated dosage reminds us three times they poured it out. Once for the Father, once for the Son, once for the Holy Ghost. The Spirit will graciously bring the Word to us repeatedly. Aren't you thankful God didn't just send you one message and say, Alright now, you've heard the truth, you've heard the Gospel, get saved or die lost. But that's all I'm giving you. And yet He's so gracious, He repeatedly sends you the Word. He repeatedly send His Spirit to your life. He repeatedly sends you a season empowered word of God moving and alive in your life it shows God's long suffering he does not owe it to us but he will often bring repeated warnings another word 1 Kings 17 2 1 Kings 17 8 1 Kings 18 1 again the word of the Lord came unto Elijah again the word of the Lord came unto Elijah again the word of the Lord came unto Elijah I'm so thankful in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1 when Jonah had been disobedient. The Bible said the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah. Aren't you so thankful in your life when you didn't always do what God wanted you to do? That the Lord didn't just wipe you off the map. But again the word of God came unto you. And again he came unto me. And again he gave us opportunity. Poured out the water. And then he prayed down the fire. Hallelujah. Verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Identify who you are and that I'm thy servant, that I've done all these things at thy word. Don't let the people look at me the way they did those prophets of Baal. I'm not here for a show. I don't even want them to see me. I want them to see you. I'm just your servant. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt off sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When Elijah bowed to pray, unlike the prophets of Baal, what he did was not a stunt. What he did was not a show. What he did was not a performance. Matter of fact, the fire should have consumed Elijah. Consumed Elijah? Didn't you misspeak, preacher? Oh, not at all. Don't you mean it should have consumed the prophets of Baal? No, I mean it should have consumed Elijah. Elijah was a human being just like all the rest of them. Elijah understood if God didn't have mercy, he would be destroyed just like the rest of them. If he's not God's servant, he'll be consumed with fire just like everybody else. You realize this morning, you're nobody special in yourself outside of God. But when Elijah prayed, the fire came and consumed the sacrifice. The people didn't worship Elijah. As soon as they saw the fire fall, they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, He's the God. They recognized, identified, and accepted who God is. I'm going to tell you this. I'm finished preaching. This is the conclusion of the message. I'm stopping here. i got enough preaching to do in the life of Elijah still to go at least two more weeks. 
They thought, please listen to this if you miss everything else I say this morning. They thought they wanted rain. Three and a half year drought, you would too. They thought what they needed more than anything. If you'd have taken a poll in the land of Israel and you'd ask them what's the most important issue to you. What is the most important thing? What's keeping you up at night? What's worrying you? What's causing you to be concerned? Every person without fail would have said rain's what's on my mind. We need rain more than we need our next breath. We need rain more than anything. We need rain more than what we need. Anything in the whole world, we need rain. They thought what they needed was rain. God said what you need is fire. If you'd ask them, what do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? After three and a half years worth of this drought, they would have said fire. I'm worried about wildfires. I'm worried about forest fires. I'm worried about fires getting out of control. We don't even have any water to fight the fire with. If we were to have a fire now, everybody would die. Everything would die. We're scared to death. We need water so bad. And the last thing we need is fire. And God said, more than you need water, you need fire. I'm going to tell you, we don't know what we really need this morning. We think what we need is another blessing. Man, if I had that new job, if I had that other car, if I had this other thing in life, if, my, if I had a new house, if I had you know, a pile of money, if I had this and if I had that, and what we think we need is water when God says, what you really need is fire. What you really need is the power of God. What you really need is to know who God is. What you really need is the presence of the Lord in your life. Is anybody understanding what I'm preaching this morning? Good what we think we need and what God knows we need are two different things entirely. You think your family needs a better place to live. You think you need the new job. You think you need an additional space. You think you need cars that are larger to accommodate and whatever else. You think you need a new set of clothes or a new set of pair of shoes. And what you really may need is just God to inhabit what you already have. They identified who God was when what little water they had left had already been poured out. What they thought they needed the most, God took from them to show them who He was. And by the way, we'll study a little more on it next week or two. Soon as what they got fire, they got water. If this morning, instead of trying to tell God what all you need and want and desire, you just accept what He gives, ain't no telling how much of what you need, want, and desire He'd give you. You want water? You'll take fire. You can get water. Lord, we need water first. And I'll take the water you got first, pour it out. Then I'll give you what you need. And I'll get, then when you get done burning up everything that you had, I'll send you more of what you ever had to start with. An abundance of rain. But there's not a cloud out there any bigger than a man's hand. That's all right. I'm scooping up water out of the ocean, going to dump it out right on top of you. You'll get more water than what you know what to do with. Sounding of abundance of rain. This morning, you know what we need to do? Forget about the water, forget about the prophets, forget about society, forget about the politicians, and say, the Lord, He's the God. I hope you understand what I'm preaching. I wouldn't miss heaven for the world. Come on, sing a verse of a song for us. What good would a world do me with leaving on my mind? You want another blessing from God, but what you really need is not another blessing from God, it's God. If God be God, then let Him be God. If God be God, then let Him be God. The Word of the Lord Jesus. The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Everybody stand. I've preached what the Lord's put on my heart. I wish I could preach it to you the way the Lord gives it to me. If I could, I might have already built a wildfire that burnt the building down this morning. Hallelujah. My wife two or three times last night tried to get me to go to bed. There wasn't no use to go to bed. Fire burning in my life. What are you doing? I'm just sitting here listening to the gospel music. Sitting in the chair thinking about tomorrow and the sermon, the service. She come in there in a little while and she said, what's wrong? I said, nothing wrong. Why don't you come to bed? I'll be to bed in a little bit.
fire burning in my life. How are you supposed to sleep while you're on fire? How are you supposed to sleep while you're on fire? This morning, if you don't know the Lord, I'd ask you to come. If your life is cold, I'd ask you to come. If you need to repent of something you ought not to be doing in your life and God wants to separate you from it, I ought to come. Sing for us whenever you're ready, please. You need to do business with the Lord, would you come? The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. I need Thee every hour. The Lord, He is the God. Most gracious Lord. The Lord, He is the no God. tender voice like Thine can peace I need Thee. I need thee, oh, I need Lord, thee. From sin, from sin, from Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. From all those things I in this world that do not please you. Put a fire in my life that the world would recognize. I need thee every hour. That it is the Holy Spirit working in me. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. Our worship, our time of fellowship is not a stunt. It's not a show. It's not a performance. For His glory, for His honor. We need the fire more than we need anything. More than I need my next breath. More than I need my day of life. More than I need anything. I need the fire. I need the fire. I need God to do something in my heart. Need God to work in my community, in my life, my family. It's the only hope I have. It's not in me or in you or in the prophet or the king. It's in the God that answers by fire. I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. 